0: Hello and welcome to The Design Away, a podcast about designers who are living and working outside of their comfort zones. In this episode, Philippe Njorn will interview Kaid Jacobs. Kaid made an early on shift in his career. When the music industry did not work out, it was in design that he found his purpose. As a designer, Kaid is passionate not only in designing great products, but also the culture around them. Originally from New Jersey, it was curiosity that brought him to Amsterdam, where he's now trying to shape the culture in the city around his favorite sport, basketball. This interview was recorded in December 2021.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Design Away. Today with us, we have Kait Jacobs. Welcome Q, happy to have you here. Hey, thanks. With uh, this podcast, we wanted to recap the feeling of meeting somebody new at a design meetup. And funny story, I actually met you at a design meetup. That's right. <laughs> can you uh, can you remind me, uh, what, what is your meetup introduction? How would you introduce yourself to somebody you've just met?
2: Man, it's been so long since I was at a meetup uh, because of the pandemic, <laughs> right? Yes, man. But uh, you know what? To be honest, that, uh, that part of meetups is very difficult for me. So I usually try to utilize whatever context is happening in the moment, like locally to us. So let's say we are gathered around a table of food. That's kind of where I gravitate (laughs) at meetups. You'll find me at the food table. Um, But yeah, I mean, I might uh, offer someone some help in uh, getting a napkin or a drink or something and actually try to start the conversation that way. But let's say we've gotten into the conversation a bit and we're at the point of like, hey, who are you? You know, I describe myself as, uh, as a designer, um, and as a, a, a parent, <laughs> those are my two sort of overwhelmingly powerful categories in life. And um, at meetups in Amsterdam, to be honest, usually the person I'm meeting is not from Amsterdam as well. So there's like always this uh, commonality of being a traveler, uh, being an expat or, you know, getting used to Amsterdam in some way or another culturally or geographically or usually weather-wise that's like an, an easy opener talking about the weather and complaining about it let's let's be more specific complaining about the weather um so yeah that's typically how i would uh, enter into a, a meetup conversation i don't remember philip how uh, how we began our conversation do you i don't remember
1: exactly because it was a long time ago i think about six years ago But I don't know, I think we we both were awkwardly looking around, Uh, everybody was kind of already bundled into groups and we were like, hey, uh, we're probably the only people not bundled in a group, so let's chat. (laughs) And I think we quickly connected over uh, music and uh, basketball. Uh, Mm, Indeed. uh, So yeah, I I think it was like that, uh, something like that. But uh, okay, coming back to yeah. your introduction, Q, you mentioned three uh, keywords here, uh, designer, mm. uh, parent, and expat. So can, can you maybe mm. go deeper into those three? Like uh, what kind of okay. designer, what kind of parent, <laughs> and also yeah. uh, where are you
2: <laughs> coming from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. parenting is funny, man. It's, um, it's a big part of, uh, of who I am. I didn't realize this 10 years ago when we first uh, welcomed a child into our family. But um, I knew it would be an adventure because I had been a kid. So I remember making adventures for my parents, (laughs) for my mom, for my sister, who was also uh, there to help raise me up. Um, But yeah, we we had a child 10 years ago. And of course, it's a big, huge moment uh, for everyone who welcomes a a new child into their lives. But uh, if you are. You know, excited by it, and if you are open to it, the experience is so uh, overwhelmingly powerful. And not, not just in terms of you being able to see an effect on somebody else, but becoming a parent and answering questions of a child or wanting to give an experience to a child really made me reflect on myself intensely. Who, you know, who am I? Who am I trying to be for mm-hmm. this person that doesn't have a history with me? that is just coming to me with a blank slate and ready to absorb and accept information. Who can you become? And I say this to to people that I know who are new parents all the time. I say, look, you're not gonna, first of all, you're not gonna get any sleep for like a year and you gotta deal with it, (laughs) you know? You're just gonna be like cognitively deficient for a while, but that's okay, you'll get through that. And then on the other side of that, you'll realize that being a parent is this great opportunity for self-development and challenging yourself And really just like, you know, trying something you never did before, not only just sort of, you know, tying diapers, but trying some aspects of being who you never gave yourself permission to be before. So parenting has been a huge thing for me. I I think it's responsible for a lot of my personal growth over the past 10 years. And um, yeah, that's why I always, uh, you know, it's hard to avoid talking about it because it, it, it represents so much of my life, just like design, just like design. I mean... I'm a design guy. Like when I talk about work opportunities and stuff like that, and people ask me, yeah, how long you been doing this? I almost don't believe that it's been 20 plus years. Not only because, you know, I look quite lot, young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, I like to, you yeah, I like to believe that I'm a young person, but I'm 45, I'll be 46 uh, in 2022. So it's been a while that I've been working at this craft. And um, that doesn't even include my academic years because I studied music, business, um, so like finance, accounting, uh, marketing, uh, statistics. I studied this undergrad along with the music, so music history, music performance, um, and also fields related to the music business because at NYU where I studied undergrad, I was enrolled in a program that was meant to foster like really powerful music Industry executives, <laughs> as strange as that may be, you know. But uh, recognizing the, the the money in the industry, recognizing the craft that's there, I was in a program that really tried to sculpt me to be effective at that uh, as a professional in the music industry. So that's what I studied undergrad. But a couple of years after being in the industry for a while. I realized it wasn't quite my path. That wasn't really the journey (laughs) that I thought I should be traveling at that moment, which which was kind of a crisis because, um, you know, I'd like invested all this time and energy and money and uh, borrowed money. Right. Um, Just Mm -hmm. to be this music industry person, but then hit a wall and I said, okay, I have to do something different. It was also partly the local economy in New York tanked, especially for the entertainment And I was kind of uh, out of luck looking for the next opportunity, looking for a way to consistently uh, pay the bills. So that Mm -hmm. prompted a bit of a change. And to be honest, that was sort of the moment I first became a designer. And not because I started making amazing things that helped people achieve their goals, but because I started listening to people around me. Um, When I left music, I was kind of stuck as to understanding what to do next. Um, I was also stuck in the mindset that to be a professional, you had to have gone to university and enrolled in some institution and took that mm-hmm. kind of training. And then you could become the professional, which I don't believe in now. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I thought that was really the way to do it. So I was like, okay, I have no idea what to do. And yeah, that, that's
1: what most of us think, of course.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, there's yeah. a whole in- industry, right? A whole sector of our society that's built up on making sure that's what we believe making sure our insecurity will push us to invest time and money into these institutions so i don't judge it but i think i i I have an understanding for it that makes me feel a little bit cynical about it um but i think if you go to a good educational institution they give you the tools for being able to learn on your own uh, for being able to mm-hmm. be brave and, you know, practice or, or try and fail. And that's exactly what I had to do at the beginning of my design career. I listened to people around me who were like, hey, we see you mm-hmm. do really great designs for posters or CD covers, like just the things that I was doing on mm-hmm. the side uh, in the music industry. People were like, do more of that. You know, my family was like, oh, you, you want to be a designer? Um, I know someone who needs business cards, you know, started small. And uh, and I would do those small things using my pirated software. And, you know, I mm-hmm. also took it quite seriously. I didn't want to be a flake. I didn't want to say, oh, yeah, I can make a business card for you and then have it look like crap. So I did everything I could to learn the principles of at that time, let's call it visual design. I think I called myself a graphic designer uh, back then because I was doing a lot mm-hmm. of print stuff, mm-hmm. uh, flyers, business cards, posters. At the same time, I was like tinkering with the web and HTML and CSS and so I would sit down with people who said, oh yeah, can you make me this poster? I would ask them, you know, what do you want it for? They would tell me the scenario and I, I tried to add to it. I would try to contribute something a little more than just the poster they asked for. A lot Not of times... Not just execute, but also add to it, right? Exactly, exactly. And at that yeah, time, yeah, yeah. a lot of what I could bring in addition what I could contribute additionally was the web presence because people weren't used Mm -hmm. to sort of thinking about that first. So um, I started to yeah, get more serious about that. Now, there's something interesting about um, switching careers or like leveling up as a designer. And I find myself saying this a lot because I mentor junior designers and people who are switching careers. But there's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's there's nothing innate that makes a person, an effective designer other than curiosity. This is kind of, you know, the thing I like to say, and I I don't believe I'm the first person to say it, but I think it's really critical. Mm -hmm. No matter what kind of design, no matter what kind of creator you are, if you're not curious about, number one, how to be good, but then also how the thing that you've made is surviving in the world, then, yeah, if you don't have that curiosity, yeah, I don't think you will be effective at what you're doing as a creator. But I've always tried to keep that in front of me and, and hold that as one of my like guiding principles, whether it's in a conversation with a potential client, in a conversation with a disgruntled client, <laughs> you know, or like with an educational opportunity where I might be able to level up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just to gosh, I don't even remember the original question you asked. I told you guys I was just talk. I was just. Yeah, talking, that's bro. great. That's uh, <laughs> fine. <it's> fine. You, <laughs>
1: You elaborated on two things that I asked uh, actually. Uh, the okay. first one was, uh, what kind of designer are you? So can you elaborate a bit on that? And the second one was, where are you from? And you touched upon both, wow. so that that's great. Okay. And we, uh, But you gave us a lot uh, more that, than we can, that we can unpack uh, at, at, at this point. I'm curious now, uh-huh. uh, just uh, one more question and I will hand it over to Jorn. I know Jorn has a lot of questions, <laughs> okay. but I'm curious now from from this point, are you happy you met that wall that you referred to yeah. uh, back in the days?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, Not because it was pleasurable. Um, And I feel like, you know, I probably would have landed on this path, no matter what, right? So I feel like some of this stuff is just prescribed. And uh, the way you end up on a path might be different. But the fact that you end up on a path is for sure. So am I happy I hit those walls? Definitely. I feel like um, those obstacles Those moments of feeling lost and like really not having the answer, uh, they happen continuous and still happen to me, actually. You know, we can even connect it to the context of parenting. I'm often facing a parenting Mm -hmm. challenge where I don't have the answer, but I have to rely on intuition. I have to rely on bravery, you know, not being afraid to make an error and also listening and being curious. All these skills are still involved. I'm super fortunate that so I grew up in New Jersey, like a suburb of New York. My mom is a lawyer, my father, uh, an aerospace engineer. So I feel like on a DNA level, (laughs) on a genetics level, you know, I I really got lucky. And we were fortunate enough to be, um, you know, comfortable enough to be able to want things like being better at a job you know our our needs weren't Mm -hmm. based we were fortunate and i'm still fortunate to that Mm -hmm. degree today so the challenges that i've had not knowing what direction to go in or having an economy crumble around me those challenges were great for me to face because it gave me some practice in dealing with a challenge and practice in figuring out okay i'm stopped here can i go around do i need to go back can I go above or below? You know, this kind of uh, problem solving challenge is really important to do over and over and over again. Uh, for me, I believe that it's not like, um, yeah, I believe that they will continue to happen in life. And the more I'm able to be comfortable with the fact that those challenges arise, uh, the better I'm able to do with each of those challenges individually. That's what I believe.
1: Yeah. And you have to be curious, like you said, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it will be better. Better to
2: it, yeah, yeah, and and you know what? So I'm not, I'm not a visual designer. I'm not a graphic designer now. I mean, I, I consider myself a product designer or a UX designer, even a creative director, based on the way I can zoom out of a problem now and help give it direction. But um, the uh, the sort of wall, the biggest wall I faced most recently was making the decision to leave New York and move to Amsterdam. And that one was really hefty for a number of reasons. One, because, you know, I was spurred by curiosity about where my job as a designer could take me in the world. This was 2013. I started to think, OK, like, yeah, I get it. I've been here in the States for a while. Where else can we go? And, and we were, so we were based in New York for a while. My partner and I were thinking about moving to California, for example, just getting out of New York. But as I started to look Mm -hmm. for jobs out of New York, I saw there was quite a lot of design work to be done everywhere else in the world. So out of curiosity and sort of a sense of adventure, I was like, hey, let's make this move. You know, we had a one year old child at that time and my partner was game for the adventure. It also came at a moment where I felt every day this huge obstacle, a huge and scary challenge every day when I would leave the house because... In Brooklyn, you know, there's there are so many potential threats to (laughs) your life and happiness, Mm -hmm. Uh, leaving the house, whether we're talking about police brutality, economic oppression, the random uh, act of violence or the random, you know, with so with such a density of people, the random event that might negatively impact you is quite close at hand and you can't help it. That's just numbers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. You know, uh, at that time, having a new child and sort of wanting more security in my life, I became really in touch with my fear around not being able to make it home safely at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So in 2013, started to look around the world and saw that there were some opportunities in other places that I felt less insecure about. Amsterdam was Mm -hmm. the place that was sort of the most interesting and let's say the most feasible to move towards. Um, Have you ever
3: been before? you made the decision
2: i had never been yeah i never been i came for the for an interview at booking.com it was my first time in amsterdam and it was like march so it was super cold and (laughs) wet and i was just like i don't know about this but i found a couple of places to like get a drink you know cozy spot, as we might say to sit and get a drink i think i went to uh, the pipe and i had a meal at um albina which is like uh, Indonesian. So I had some, some, you know, liquor food. And I was like, you know what, this? And, this? and the thing is the streets were so well organized and like clean, and I could get a sense of the systematic approach that the bureaucracy in this city really allows to happen. And there's some part of me that likes that. There's some part of me that's really interested in the way systems manifest on large scale. So I was like, this is kind of interesting as a city. And my partner at the time was in graduate school studying urban planning. And I was like, yo, if there's any city you want to go to like to see urban planning in effect, Amsterdam's high on the list. This is the city
3: to study for that. Yes. Was there a short list of other places?
2: Uh, was there a short list of other places? Um, probably. But once this opportunity at Bookend started to crystallize, I just like, I was like, all right, let's just do this. And it's funny at first, Uh, when I, when they asked me to travel to Amsterdam, uh, for an interview, they were like, we need your passport. Uh, you know, we need all this sensitive information. And I was (laughs) like, this could totally be a scam, right? Like it's totally (laughs) possible that this is a scam, but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't. In fact, it was legitimate. So yeah, we probably had a short list, but I don't remember what it was because after a while the Amsterdam idea just took over.
3: How long did it take you to, to to get acquainted with the city and your new surrounding? And and did it also affect the Mm -hmm. way that you went to work or approached work?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, so I've been here for eight years now, maybe almost nine next spring. I would say that there's still plenty I'm learning uh, about the city. Um, And we just moved to a new neighborhood. So there's there's that whole thing, like learning the streets and the back, (laughs) the the back, the shortcuts. But I like that. I like sort of being dropped into a new situation and like having to figure it out, being curious about this and that. That's really exciting for me. Um, But I'm still trying to get used to it on so many levels. Like there's the obvious weather, the (laughs) lack of sunlight. Is it so much different than New York, the weather? Yeah. So in New York, you get four seasons, right? You get rain in the spring and sometimes in autumn. You get, you know, snow in the winter. It can be quite a lot sometimes, you know, uh, blizzards Mm. and stuff. (laughs) Um, The summer, though, and actually through all the seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall, the thing is you can get really crisp, beautiful blue skies with strong sun. And in the summer, that means it's nice and hot, like, for three, four months in a row, you know? So... Yeah, it's different. It's, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> but the culture in the city of Amsterdam is also different for me. Um, this like, yeah, I, I never lived in a European city. I, I had traveled before moving here. I had traveled to London and Paris and uh, I traveled to some African cities. And where else? I hadn't been to many other places. Definitely not for extended periods of time. So getting used to being in a non- uh, predominantly English speaking place, European culture. Um, it was quite an adjustment. I'm still adjusting eight years later, (laughs) later for sure.
3: Yeah. You started working at booking.com, which is quite an international, uh, company, even for Dutch standards. So did you directly get into contact also with Dutch society or was there
2: still a barrier there? Yeah. Well, So you're right, at Booking, it was quite international. The team I was on, actually, we had a Romanian guy, a guy from Spain, an Egyptian guy, a Dutch guy. uh, I think that's... And a Polish guy. So yeah, it was very international on that small team. Um, But it's hard to describe what that experience was like for me, right? Moving from the U.S., coming to this foreign city um language made me uncomfortable it, working at booking and an international team made me uncomfortable like even though we were all speaking english it was this version of english like a reduced uh <laughs> common denominator version of english you know that each of us kind of like could understand each other a yeah. bit um it, that it wasn't a problem but it did make me feel uncomfortable out of my element and i am someone actually I like to use big words, not I'm not trying to, you know, say anything with those words. Well, I'm trying to say very specific things with those words. And I know those words, so I like to use them. And I'm not trying to show off. I'm just trying to be very specific and detailed Mm -hmm. with the way that I communicate. And with this sort of common denominator, English, you can't use those kind of words. So I was often misunderstood. I often felt stymied or unable to fully communicate myself. Working at Booking was actually very difficult for me, and I didn't enjoy it. I was working on optimization and small tweaks and, you know, multivariate testing that was like, Mm -hmm. I had actually moved to Amsterdam, of course, for a job, but it was a design job. And I imagined that I was going to tap into this rich history of fine arts and, you know, this northern European history of like, you know, the Rembrandts and the Van Gogh. And, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be those guys <laughs> <laughs> and think, think I'm big, and, and, yeah, <laughs> exactly. think big yeah. create big as well. Exactly. Yeah. And also just hold aesthetics more at the center of my design. Mm-hmm. But at booking, that, that wasn't what we were there to do. Um, and there was no illusion about it. So, yeah, it was actually quite hard for me in a big culture shock. I was far from family and far from the things that I would depend on typically. To like make me feel better, you know, like my favorite places to get junk food or <laughs> my favorite activities like playing basketball on the street. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that here, not only because the weather, but because there's no basketball courts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I feel yeah, it was you. a challenge. <laughs> I know.
1: Then, uh, what about your next step? What was it? and Was it a yeah. better fit for you?
2: Oh, man. So after booking, I worked at this company called uh, Nepo. They're like an internal software division of a larger uh, global marketing firm. Um, It was better for me, and not because the product was more interesting or because I got to focus on aesthetics, I really didn't, but I actually got to focus on creating culture because at that organization, there was me as one designer and I think maybe 30 or 40 other staff, including developers, marketing, salespeople. So they actually weren't, they didn't, I feel like they didn't care much about design um and when I got there I saw that as an opportunity actually to mm-hmm. try and like sell the story of the power of design, not only in terms of how it can impact the UI of the product you're shipping, but how it can impact how you feel coming to work every day. So it was actually very different than optimizing the search results at booking. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to challenge. optimize the experience. Yeah, yeah. I was um yeah, I was trying to figure out not only how to make it a better experience for me every day, but to bring everyone else along with that and to make make it feel like, yeah, everyone was seen and involved and we were working on something really cool, even though the product itself wasn't sexy. It was like um, uh, survey software and I was doing front, the front end and a, an admin panel and stuff like that. It wasn't sexy, but to know that you have like the resources of a big company behind you and you're asked to develop solutions and, you, you know, you can like come with so many different ideas and stuff to me that's exciting and i wanted everyone to feel excited too about it
1: (laughs) definitely Uh, the fancy word for what you did there is uh design transformation (laughs) i think And, and and that's a that's a really good uh good challenge and uh you you got basically uh the chance to create culture uh with design a company culture uh what are your tips for 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 being a designer in that situation? Like how do you design Mm -hmm. culture
2: in a company? Yeah. Uh, Yes, I guess, of course, the steps would be different for everyone, but the steps must include a period or an extended, either an extended period or continuous practice of listening and absorbing. Right. Because, you know, I came in with my own sense of what what it would be to have a great experience working there from the design side of things, but I didn't just try to impose my own vision. I first got there, listened, I observed, I saw what was going on and I tried to understand where people might have a sensitivity towards a change, like being open towards a change or where people identified problems that could be addressed with design thinking or design oriented solutions. So my first step was just to actually be very quiet, <laughs> go to the <laughs> meetings and just listen and uh-huh, ask an occasional question to get clar- clarity, but to absorb the take in. And then when I was ready to propose my ideas, it was, you know, the proposition is the first of two steps. You propose, you talk, and then again, you listen and you collect the feedback. How do my ideas affect people? Can I, can I get people to agree that this is a journey that we're on, that we might make missteps, that this might not be the right thing to do. But if it isn't, we together will figure it out. You know, these kinds of collaborative uh, steps, I think are critical, but it's going to be different. And you know, I, I, I tell sometimes I give presentations on this kind of thing, like being a designer agitating as a designer inside of an organization. And I always have to say to people, this is a actually very risky thing to do, because the outcome could lead to you losing your job, your opportunity at that organization. It, the outcome could lead to people feeling negatively towards you because maybe you don't communicate well or you might offend people, who knows, right? There's so many factors involved. So I could not guarantee success with this approach, but I do think it's a worthy risk to take, if only because it allows you at the end of the day to feel like you did what you could to have a good experience and hopefully to altruistically, to be creating a good experience for other people. So it's got to start with listening and it has to be sustained with a continuous feedback loop where you're understanding the results of what you're doing in that space.
3: Let's talk about uh, one of the next big steps in your career, Mm. where you went from working for a boss to actually working for Mm. yourself. You started Mm. freelancing. How how did that? Come about and and was it also, uh, yeah, scary to do?
2: mm mm-hmm. Oh yeah, big <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I started freelancing. And let's say I returned to freelancing because in New York, my first forays into design work was f- purely freelance. Right. And uh, similar to doing freelance in New York, I would sort of do freelance for a while, a year two years, and then kind of find my way back into a full time role inside of an organization. In my earlier career, it was for survival purposes. You know, like I'm not good at marketing myself. I'm not necessarily good at the, the admin and the accounting around having your own business. So after a while, I sort of hit a wall where as an individual at my level of resource and knowledge, I sort of can't go any farther. Like I hit my the extent of my ability to get cool projects, I hit the limits on, you know, how much um, networking I can do. So I find myself sort of looking back at organizations and saying, okay, let's, let's jump back in. And let's, you know, get around a team of 20. And let's see what a company that's making millions a year can do in terms of systems and resources and stuff, because that's also very interesting to me. So I found myself back into freelancing here in Amsterdam, because uh, my contract expired, I had like, well, there's this thing happening out here where you can be hired for a number of temporary contracts, and mm-hmm. after those offers, those there's like a maximum yeah. number of temporary contracts you can be be offered, and then an organization has to offer you a permanent contract, like permanent for the rest of your life. <laughs> or <laughs> That's so they my either, life. The, yeah yeah they either set you up or they set you free. <laughs> So um, in my case, I was set free um, and it, it was quite a, a shock. Like, I didn't expect it. You know, I had spent two years on an organization I didn't expect after all that time for them to be like, ah, oh, never mind. So, yeah, I found myself out here with a three month window in Amsterdam because at that time. Uh, as a, so as an American in the Netherlands, I have three months of like, yeah, you know, traveler's Mm -hmm. visa, right? I could kind of just be out here for three months and do whatever. Um, but that wasn't my plan. Like I had, you know, we sort of have a set up our home here and our, so I have a family of three and all of our visas were based on my employment with a large employer offering me, um, uh an indefinite contract. So it was a little bit scary because after that job ended, I had three months to figure out a situation that it would address our visa, you know, our income, our security, everything. Did you consider moving so back to the States? Never. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Here's the thing, man. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a strange feeling that I have about uh, my home country because I'll always, you know, be emotionally tied to it, not only because most of my family and loved ones are there, but of course, that's where I grew up. I feel nostalgic towards it. I've had all my, most of my formative experiences have happened there. My child was born there. So, you know, I'm I'm an American citizen. I always will be, most likely. But the country feels very hostile and inhospitable to me. I don't, And I don't mean as a on a personal level, it's not like that. America's like, you know, you don't belong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my mother and my sister had been doing a lot of family history research. Uh, in the early two thousands, they traveled like all around the country, going to old uh, city. Where uh, what do you call those places? Like here's the Hamenta, but you have like a, yeah, like a small city organized institution that keeps records mm-hmm. and stuff. I forgot the mm-hmm. name of them in English. That's also a municipality of municipality or. Yeah, yeah. There's like a local municipality institution in all cities where they might keep local records mm-hmm. um, for, you know, uh, yeah, like who lived where. Um, so my family had done a lot of research um, traveling around the country, going through a lot of old records, going back into, you know, the 18th century, right? tracing our family history and um my mother and my sister uncovered a lot of amazing details about where our ancestors were you know who i come from and considering that information and knowing the history of my country and how it has just tried to basically exterminate my people since the beginning i have a very you know recalcitrant. Like, I don't feel good about being there. I feel like that's where my folks are from. That's where my people are from. But I feel like they're still oppressed, right? And Mm -hmm. you can see the evidence of that. So the idea of going back there is a little complex to me. I would rather try to extend where my family can be on Earth. I would Mm -hmm. rather try to demonstrate to my 10-year-old child that actually we could be anywhere on planet Earth and still be connected to family. We mm-hmm. could be anywhere and still set up a home, right? To create comfort and safety no matter where we are, to follow opportunities and experiment no matter where we are. Um, so the idea of going back is sort of way back in, in my head and when I when I was like had three months to figure out a job situation, going back to the US was not an option. But to be honest, it did give me a sense of security. It gave me some freedom to try different things because i knew no matter what if everything else failed mm-hmm. yes we might have to leave amsterdam but yeah i could just go back to america and try and you know get things going there but i wanted to succeed here and i still want to succeed here so i went back into freelance fortunately i was able to drum up um some opportunities i started working in the hr tech space ironically strangely i guess i didn't really mm-hmm. plan it but the next like few biggest job uh, and project opportunities i had came in that sector um so, so i was lucky i was lucky it, it actually took almost three months to secure a job that i could use to support my working visa here so it was quite a challenge mm-hmm.
1: wow well, man that that sounded like uh, some high pressure situation there yeah and i'm really happy that you that you were able to find something and uh, and stay here <laughs> me too uh and uh thanks for sharing by the way the the your uh, your background and uh your your struggles uh with with the idea of uh, America at the moment. Uh mm. so yeah, uh th- thanks for opening up o- about that. Um uh, maybe uh one more question before we go Yarn. do you do you have some
3: yeah, we heard some, we want to hear some, mo- something more about your future projects. And yeah. especially one that uh, piqued our interest was of course, uh, mm-hmm. that you, you're a very big basketball fan. You already yeah. mentioned that <laughs> and you are actually looking into opening up a gym, a basketball gym in yeah. Amsterdam.
2: Yes. Yeah, so it's funny. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a fan of playing basketball, the sport. I'm not a huge uh fan of watching other people play. <laughs> <laughs> Especially people who, who make so much money that I'm just like, ah but um yeah, I'm you know, I've been an athlete my whole life over various sports. Um I actually started my first like uh experience in organized sport was in football with football. Of course in the US we call it soccer, but in the city where I grew up there was a big Colombian um population and they had like the town's football team and uh my mom actually urged me she was like you need to join those kids and uh and get out there so yeah i actually played uh fullback um for many years before i got serious about basketball but basketball in in my city was also sort of like it it was just an assumed thing like you played basketball (laughs) and the basketball court was where a lot of our like young male interactions happened um, it's, it's, it was where you establish sort of your personality in confrontation, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> so I've always had a, a space for basketball uh, in my heart. And through high school, I never actually really felt like I got the opportunity to be my best basketball self. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always been chasing that version of my athletic self, the basketball master you know the guy who really can hoop on the court and um yeah that's just extended up to today but when i got here to amsterdam i like i said i was shocked that there weren't uh, that many basketball courts uh, you know public and, uh, and available and, and a lot of them that that are out there are in terrible condition or like the ground is made of cobblestone <laughs> where it's like you can, I can't play basketball out here so there are some meetups and some private groups where you know the groups will rent time in, in the gyms that are managed by the municipality, but it's very restrictive and you really need like quite a mass of people in order to organize it. So that pain point, right? Wanting to be able to hoop no matter when, uh, but not having the opportunity or the facilities for it, that pain point combined with my passion for designing culture is actually what what brings this project together today so there is like a a name for it which is in development but as a code name as a shorthand i'm gonna call it open run because the idea is that there is going to be this place where people can just show up and experience basketball now basketball has many aspects right there are people who want to play there are people who want to watch it there are people who want to teach it There are people who want to actually play the video game version of it. There's so many permutations of this. And if you look at professional leagues like the NBA or even international leagues, FIBA, et cetera, what you can see over the past decade is an extreme growth in interest and participation in the sport. So this is sort of like a signal to me that there is space for um, innovation and space for development. There's space for people like me Uh, And also space for people who just want to engage in the sport but may not it may not be on a basketball court proper. You know, like there's so much space and energy and movement around the sport. I think now is a great time to strike uh, strike the iron and do something new. So what I want to do in short is start something like a franchise where in every capital city there will be a place where a person knows they can go to engage and participate. And, and perhaps contribute to basketball the culture, whether that means it's because you're playing the sport on a court or it's because uh, you wanna give a lecture on the dynamics of it, uh, or maybe you, um, you wanna bring your team in there and do sessions like uh, have whiteboard sessions or video uh, sessions, what do they call it? Watching tape, you know, um, to learn from others. There's so many things around basketball that can happen inside a facility but there are no facilities yeah. like that in Amsterdam or in many other cities. So that's in a nutshell what uh, I want to establish here in Amsterdam, uh, along with the help of other enterprising and motivated individuals. <laughs> wow,
3: really inspirational and, and big dreams. Awesome, man. That sounds like a great vision.
1: Yeah, I, I see a pattern here. You don't just design the thing, you design uh, the thing and the culture around it. So, so kudos <laughs> for that, man. sounds Mm. great and uh one more thing Uh, i thought of a title for the episode and i would uh, uh, need your approval uh and the title is uh you break the wall by listening Hmm. is it a good
2: title i like it you break the wall by listening it makes me think of someone putting their ear to a wall that might be broken which then makes me feel a little anxious because i'm like what if their ear gets damaged So I don't know. That's just my reaction. Take it or leave it. (laughs) I don't know if that means it's a good title or an anxious one that generates anxiety.
1: (laughs) I I was thinking about it like this. Uh, You mentioned that uh, you see a challenge. So you see a wall and you're listening around uh, uh, around yourself. So you listen to the people and you you, based on what you listen, you kind of find the direction around the wall. But it can also mean you listen to where the wall is the weakest and you know where to break it. So, that's right. the, the flip side of it.
2: Indeed, indeed. And I think listening to the wall also helps you know where it's the strongest and where it wouldn't make sense to break it. Yeah. Um, and exactly. I, I'm thinking about that in the context of uh, yeah, this n- new place where I live. We're trying to do a lot of work here. <laughs> and you can't put a hole in just any place. <laughs> that's what I'm learning. I have a
1: drill exactly. machine, if you like. I can uh, lend it for you. Like an expat, <laughs> expat to expat, you know? <laughs> yeah, nice, yes. nice. Thanks a lot, Q. Uh, this was great. Uh, thanks a lot for your time and your, your uh, beautiful inspiration and, and uh, stories and vision.
2: Thanks for having me. It's, it's, uh, it's been fun to chat. I'm always down for a chat. Next time, let's do it with a beer if the regulations allow it.
1: Oh, yes, please. Great plan. <laughs> great plan. <laughs> Thank you. See you around. Thanks.
0: again. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you have any feedback for us, please write us to hello at designawaypodcast.com. We would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for listening and see you next time.